This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-9 Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Hey, thank you, Debbie. Appreciate that. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Happy Thanksgiving! It's coming up, isn't it? Wow, yeah. When we think of Thanksgiving, we think of being thankful for all that the Lord uh, has given us. And growing up uh, in America, uh, we have much to be thankful for. Uh, We um, have been supplied, I believe, with an overabundance of uh, blessing. But I never really understood um, Thanksgiving uh, until I traveled to other parts of the world. And I know what you're thinking I'm going to say. That you go to other parts of the world and you see how other people live and you come back and you're just so grateful for all that we have. Now that typically is how we think as Americans. But I'm going to flip that for you here in a second. When Lori and I used to go to Romania every year, uh, we experienced Thanksgiving in a way that we never had before. Uh, We began to go not long after the fall of communism, and we would take teams of people, uh, young adults, some older adults, and we would go anywhere from two to three weeks at a time, and we would uh, run an evangelistic youth camp. Uh, We would work uh, in gypsy villages with the very, very poor, marginalized in Romania, and we also worked uh, with children who were orphans. These children had HIV. And they were orphan kids. And that's what we would do when we were there. 
But over the years of going there, and uh, I made 12 trips in 10 years. Lori went on 10 of those trips, uh, led dozens of people. Uh, over the years of going there, I began to see something that I'd never seen before. It started out in, in the evangelistic youth camp. Now, Lori had a nickname there. It was Regina de Bombonilor. All right? Now, I'm going to translate that in Romanian. That means queen of the candy. Okay? And uh, when we first started going and running these camps, um, American candy was a premium. Okay? And so we would bring a, a huge suitcases full of candy uh, to give as prizes uh, at the camp. And we'd uh, have them divide up into teams based on uh, the room that they were staying in. And they'd do things like Bible memory verse, or they would have team competitions, or they would clean their their room, and they'd get points for that. And then at the end of the week, uh, they'd be awarded candy based on the cumulative point score for the week. So first place would get the most, then second, then third, and so on and so forth. But I saw something I'd never seen before. Now, I've been working with American youth for a long time, many, many years. I was a youth pastor for seven years and, and uh, been to a lot of camps. In fact, you hear me say this all the time. I went to one camp in Hume Lake, California, the same time that the Haggies, when they were in high school, they were dating each other. It was before they were the Haggies. They were at that same camp. And that's something. I just love to point that out. Yeah. So, uh, but I remember being a youth pastor. And when American kids would win prizes, like if an American kid won a candy bar, he would do one of two things. He would either run off and eat it all by himself, or he'd wait till all his friends were around and then he would eat it in front of them. Right? To the spoils, right? To the victor goes the spoils. And so, but in Romania, I saw something different for the very first time. I saw kids that won candy, bag full of candy, right, for coming into first or second or third place or whatever they came in. And rather than eating the candy by themselves, they would offer it, some of it, to, to other kids. And then they would take the bulk of it home with them to share with their family. Now, can you imagine that? It's like, what kind of kid does that? It didn't, it didn't compute with my understanding of generosity, at least as an American. And then after the camps, we'd start to visit people's homes. And the reason we'd visit homes would be when young people would make a commitment to Jesus Christ, we'd want to go to their home, meet their parents, and try to get permission for the young person then uh, to be discipled and to continue on in their new faith. And in those days, being an American, you were kind of like a celebrity. And whether the parents were believers or not, most of them weren't because they grew up under communism. Okay, They'd still allow you into their home because you were an American. That was a novelty back then. Not so much now. And we'd get into the home and we'd meet the family and we'd talk about camp and we'd share about what the young person learned in camp and then ask permission for that young person to continue on. Uh, in their new faith. And one of the things we learned by visiting homes is 
you never looked uh, on a cabinet and pointed out a piece of uh, china or a dish or a figurine or something or uh, a doily or a tablecloth. or You never said, oh, that's really nice. Because you know what they do? They'd grab it. They'd wrap it up. And they'd give it to you. Now, this wasn't like something they didn't like or something that was a hand-me-down or a leftover. If you pointed to something and you said, man, that is really a beautiful piece of, 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 uh, of china or, or, or crystal. It could have been something, they, it was a wedding gift or something. And they'd grab it. It was the best thing they had and they would give it to you. It's like, wow. In fact, the custom in Romania is something called hospitalitate, which means hospitality. It's a national cultural custom. When you come to visit somebody, they give you something. It's unlike when we come, what do we do? When I go to visit or we come to visit, we bring flowers or we bring candies or we give something to our host. Isn't that what we do here in America? Over there... When people visit you, you're the ones that give them something for visiting. And then finally, okay, if that wasn't enough, we were staying in the home of a Romanian family, uh, and really it was a, an apartment, a flat, and they lived in these block houses that were just ugly, gray, kind of nondescript. You know, the communist government would move all the people from their private property into the center of the city and they build these block houses and they control their electricity. They control their gas and their water and their heating. Everything was controlled by the government. And, uh, you could have a family of like seven or eight people and they live in this tiny little flat where there would be a small little kitchen, two little tiny bedrooms, and then a larger room that would be like a family room that would also uh, be an extra bedroom. So it, it would be a, a family room, a dining room, a bedroom, and you'd cram, you know, as many as were in your family into that space, okay? Very kind of minimal living. And so we were sleeping in the extra, that big, larger family room, and I woke up to the sound of a woman singing. It was a lady who was our hostess. It was the mom in the home. And she was singing this beautiful song in Romanian. And I didn't know the words, but I go, wow. It's just, it, it must be a beautiful song because it just touched my heart just hearing this lady sing. And so she had a daughter, a teenage daughter now named Silvana. And so I said, Silvana, what is your mom singing? And she goes, oh, well, my mom's singing a song. It's something like this. Oh, Lord, you have given me so much. Oh, Lord, why have you blessed me so? Uh, oh, Lord, I am so grateful for all that you have given and blessed me with. That's a rough translation. And I'm looking around this little flat. And I'm looking at how this family lives. And I'm looking at their lack, obviously, of material things. And I'm saying to myself, this doesn't make sense. And at first I thought, well, she's just grateful for what God's given her. And He hasn't given her very much, but 
She's grateful for what she has. That was my American interpretation, okay? But I missed it. You might have too. She wasn't singing about the material blessings that she had. She was giving thanks to the Lord for all that He has given her through His Son, Jesus Christ. For the marvelous mercy of God. For the grace of God. Her heart was full of joy and overflowing. And then I thought to myself, oh my goodness. This woman's joy, her her generous spirit, wasn't based on the material things that she had. In fact, on the contrary, it was based on the richness and the fullness of God in her life through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? I was like, wow! And that's exactly what we encounter in our passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, this is the second correspondence of what most scholars believe may have been three actual letters to the Corinthians. And we get that from reading first and second Corinthians. There's, there's reference to this other letter or these other things that don't appear either in first or second Corinthians. And so a lot of scholars believe there was actually a third letter too that is somehow lost or missing. But here's the point. Paul is writing this second letter to the Corinthians. And there has been a, uh, a lot of issues going on in the Corinthian church. And in the first letter that he wrote, 1 Corinthians, he addressed some of those issues, and he had to address those issues rather sternly. Okay? So much so that he had a fear that there was a division or a separation that had happened between himself and the church at Corinth. Now, he gets word from Titus that in fact, the division that he feared, the separation between himself and the members of that church, it actually wasn't the case. In fact, he got word that the Corinthians had received his strong words of correction and had actually repented and began to make changes in their life consistent with how they should be living as Christ's followers. Okay? And in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, he basically is acknowledging his joy over the church's repentance. So it goes something like this. Man, I was so afraid that what I wrote to you was so stern that somehow there'd be a separation between us. But I care about you so much. I love you. I've been praying for you. And it's such good news to hear that that's not the case. That in fact, my heart is filled with joy over your repentance and that you have rightly understood what it means to follow Jesus and have made corrections in your life and are doing what I encourage you to do. That's basically what he's saying in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. Okay? But then he moves into chapter 8. And in 
chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, he's going to say, now in light of that, I want to talk to you about something. Remember in my first letter towards the end, and we would know that would be 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1-4. through Remember in my first letter, I began to talk to you about a collection for the church in Jerusalem. You know, they've gone through a lot of tough times. Um, the harvest hasn't been very good. Economically, they're struggling. Plus, they're going through great persecution. And this has really resulted in their poverty. And do you remember how I told you about a collection? How I am encouraging all the churches to take an offering and then to send it to the church in Jerusalem? Remember that? Well, I want to talk to you about that again. And that's what he's going to do in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, okay? But he's going to talk to them about generosity, about their generosity, about their capacity to give to the work of the Lord in the same way that I started my sermon in talking to you about it. Rather than saying, listen, you guys, you are blessed. In fact, this church has the capacity to give financially um, to the work of the Lord. In fact, we probably have a capacity that's greater than a lot of churches. And you ought to give. That's not what he does. Okay? He doesn't give the typical sermon on sacrificial living and giving. Okay? On generous living and giving. That's not what he does. Instead, he's going to share with them two examples of generosity. And he's going to hope that by sharing these examples, that they'll be moved to want to live in the same way. And the first example he gives are of the churches in Macedonia. That would be the church at Philippi, uh, the church at Thessalonica, the Berean church. This is an area, right, of southern Europe, Macedonia. And he's going to use them as an example of what it means to live sacrificially and generously. Okay? And he starts out by telling the Corinthians, verse 2, that in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now listen to this. What he's saying is this. Hey, you know those Macedonians. They are in the midst of severe trial and difficulty. Uh, in fact, uh, they are really being persecuted now for following Christ. And there are economic ramifications of that persecution. But even though they are experiencing this severe persecution and they are really struggling economically, their hearts are full of joy, and their joy in the midst of their poverty has resulted in great generosity. Again, it's something that's hard for us to understand as American Christians. Because we think of it this way. 
Oh, Lord, you have blessed us with so many things, and we're so joyful and grateful for all you've blessed us with. Now we're going to give out of the abundance that you've given us. That's how we think, isn't it? This is the exact opposite. You see, the Corinthians would be thinking more like we think. And Paul is holding out the Macedonians as those who think differently, and there's a good reason why. He's saying on the contrary, they're in the midst of severe trial that's resulting in in real economic poverty and, and difficulty and hardship for them, yet their hearts are still full of joy, and as a result of that joy, that poverty overflows and becomes great generosity. Now, how can that be? How can that be? In fact, Paul said, I really wasn't going to ask them to participate in this offering for the believers in Jerusalem because I knew how hard they had it. But they begged. They pleaded. They wanted to do it. And not only did they want to do it, but they went and they gave above and beyond their means. It's like, wow. Now you can imagine kind of the affluent Corinthian church hearing this. Going, hmm, what's the reason for this? Why are they so generous to the point of sacrificing when they have so, so little? Well, Paul's going to tell them. He gets to verse 9 of chapter 8, and this is what he says. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Well, these Macedonians, they believed that it was a measure of God's grace in their life poured out into them as a result of the work of Jesus Christ that made them want to give sacrificially and generously. In fact, so much so that they not only first gave to the Lord, but then they gave to Paul in the sense of, Paul, we're not only going to give to the collection, but we're going to give ourselves fully to you How can we help you? How can we be a part of this great work? We want to do whatever we can to help our fellow brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Because they understood the example of Jesus. Though He was rich through the incarnation, right? He became flesh and dwelt among us. He became, if you will, poor. Leaving the treasures and riches of heaven behind. And not only that, that He would give His life for us that we might become rich in Him and through Him. And so, the Macedonians see themselves as rich in God through Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, even though they're poor, they're filled with joy And that joy expresses itself in great generosity. Tim Keller says it this way, Jesus gave up all His treasure in heaven in order to make you His treasure. For you are a treasured people. When you see Him dying to make you His treasure, 
that will make him yours. Money will cease to be the currency of your significance and security. And you will want to bless others with what you have. Do you see that's what's going on with the Macedonians? To the degree that you grasp the Gospel, money will have no dominion over you. Think on His costly grace until it makes you a generous people. Alright? Wow. And that's exactly what we see with the Macedonians. The first thing Paul does is he points to the Macedonians and their generosity. And the second thing he does, he gives the example by pointing to Jesus Himself. So he gives the church at Corinth those two examples that they might follow. There are three things that we see with the Macedonian believers. Number one, their generosity was not a reflection of their external circumstances and material condition, but their generosity was a, reflected the, the condition of their heart. It was their heart attitude. Number two, they pleaded for the privilege of giving because of their profound experience of God's giving to them through His Son, Jesus Christ. It was the grace of God in their life that caused them to be filled and overflow with joy that resulted in generosity. It wasn't the material things that they had. It was the spiritual wealth that they had in Christ. And number three, they recognized that what they did have in terms of their property and their very lives themselves belonged to the Lord. Those three things those are the things that made them willing to give sacrificially and with great generosity. And so in response to that, I believe there's three things that you and I need to pray for. As a result of what Paul is writing to the Corinthians, as we receive that, as we receive the example of the believers in Romania that I shared with you, or the believers in Macedonia that Paul is writing about, or of Christ Himself, there's three things I think we should be praying for. Number one, that we pray for a bigger picture of God. That we pray for a bigger picture of God. Because it all comes down to whether we're going to live with an attitude of scarcity or abundance. Now, even though the Macedonians had little, they had an attitude of abundance, not scarcity. Why? Because they understood that God gave them all that they had, it belonged to Him, and therefore, because it wasn't theirs, they were free to give it away to God's work with joy and with generosity. In fact, they pleaded to give more because they believed that God was big enough to supply their needs. We have a hard time with that in America. We believe that we need to be big enough to supply our own needs. And therefore, we hold on to what we have for fear that we can't replace it. So we don't give it. But we need to have a picture of a bigger God to recognize that He can fill our hands so that we can be generous with what He gives us. He says that basically in chapter 9 when he talks about Paul, when he talks about principles of, of sowing and reaping. That God is more than able to supply what you need to give because He wants you to give it. And we need to have a bigger picture of God. 
The second thing we need to do is we need to pray for an outpouring of God's Spirit. We need to be so filled with His Spirit that our hearts, like the Macedonians, would overflow with joy that we'd be compelled to give to the work of God. That's a work of the Spirit. That's not a a minister that's guilting you or pressuring you or, or telling you should give. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit that when we respond fully to the grace of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, that that results in a desire to be generous and to do so sacrificially. And finally, we need to pray for a kingdom perspective. You know the beautiful part about this? This was a uniting of Gentile believers and Jewish believers collecting one offering to be given to those followers of Christ in in Jerusalem. And what they began to do was not see themselves as Jew or Gentile. They saw themselves as one in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus. And through this collection, they demonstrated a unity to give towards the greater work of the kingdom. That's a powerful thing. And we need to pray that we would have a vision of the kingdom. Well, Jesus said it this way, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Choose this day whom you will serve. Scott Halfman says it this way, The way we spend our money determines the character of our lives even as the character of our lives determines how we spend our money. We know who we are by how we spend our money. My prayer for us as a church is that as we move into Thanksgiving, we be thankful for the right things. That our Thanksgiving would be for the grace of God poured out into our lives through Jesus Christ. That whatever our material station in life, we would recognize that that belongs totally to God. And He's given that to us. And He calls us to give according to three principles. One, to give according to what we have. Two, to give joyfully. And three, to give sacrificially. And as the Spirit of God fills our life with joy and gratitude, that should be our response. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He said, I'm glad you've repented. I'm glad you're following Jesus the way you should. Now let how you spend your money, how you invest in the work of God be a reflection that your conversion is true and that you're really serious about following Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Now, I I don't have to tell you that the next six weeks in this church from now till the end of the year financially are the most important weeks of the year. We depend on what comes into this church the next six weeks to carry us through the second part of the year. We depend upon the generosity of this congregation. And we want to make it as easy as we can for you to give, for you to be generous with your time, your talent, and your treasure as we can. And one of the ways that 
we're doing that. Tyler, if you'd come up now. Just to share briefly. about a new way that you can express your generosity. Would you do that, Tyler? Yes, I Thank will. You. Actually, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up too. But, you know, when I was a young man, I was about late teens, early 20s, and I was on a volunteer staff working with a junior high at a church in Salem, Oregon. And I had a pretty good relationship with the junior high pastor, and we would sit and have conversations. He asked me one day, he said, so, so how are you doing at giving? And I was a little bit taken aback because, and I, I said, well, I said, here's the deal. You know, I, I give and, um, I want to make it a priority, but I'm just not very organized in life and I forget or I, you know, I don't have my finances in great order. And so what happens sometimes is, uh, when I remember I don't have any money, you know, and he, he said something that really shocked me. You know what he said? Me too. He's a pastor at a church. He's getting paid by the church. I both appreciated his honesty, but as I continued to be involved in the ministry, that continued to be a struggle for me. And it wasn't, I had good intentions. I'm just not a super organized, detailed person. I mean, look at my shirt. I didn't even iron it this morning. I was just for an illustration though. But anyway, (laughs) you know, so what we want to do is help us Turn our best intentions into reality and by making it very simple. So one of the things that saved me, you know, about the time I came to Alaska, maybe a little bit before, is when banks would start to automatically send money out. That saved me because then I I never had to worry about it. It just happened. Well, that's possible with our new system, too. If you've given online in the past, what happened is, is that when you click to donate on our website, you would be taking another website and you'd have to find out that you had to be signed in. You had to sign in to our online system before you can give. That is going away. The new system that we're using, uh, you simply provide your email address, an amount, and your payment method. And all the payment stuff is handled by a financial institution. That information is neither stored here nor through the company that, that supplies the website to it. So um, we're trying to make it easy, secure, and convenient. Okay, so that's through our through our website. Inside your worship guide, you have this today. It's uh, three ways to give online. I just mentioned that. The beauty of the online is um, if you do want to set up a regular payment, it's very simple to do that. And you can do that with plastic or you can do that with a, with a uh, checking account as well using the routing numbers. If it's a national bank, it's an instant uh, verification process. If it's a local bank, like I did it through Alaska USA to test it out, and it was about two days because they had to put some money in my account to verify that it was mine before they start taking money out. That's good that they do that. But anyway, it's very simple to follow. Also, we can text to give now. It's very simple if you follow that. And, of course, we do the traditional ways. I know a lot of people love to express worship when we take an offering in the Sunday morning. We're going to continue to do that as well. But, again, what we want to do is make it easy, convenient, and safe to turn our best intentions into reality um, so we can f- feel good about uh, how we are expressing how we belong, both to this church, but how we express our worship through our giving as well. So there you go. If you have any questions about that, um, you can come out in the lobby, and, and Sherry and Bob Gold are going to be out there, and we have examples. And actually, why don't you throw that slide up for me real quick, would you? 
This is what this website giving uh, website looks like now. And uh, we have it on our kiosk now that, that's out there. But we'll have a couple extra iPads out there. If you have any questions about that, you can talk with Sherry or Bob or myself and we'll be in the lobby near near the kiosk after the service. Thank you.